have you ever wanted something so bad that you would like do anything for it? You know, you'd steal it, you'd hurt a person, go to some place you didn't want to go, or maybe a place that would hurt yourself, put your body in danger. What about your eternal soul? Would you sell your soul? Thanks for checking it. Thanks for listening to Do Check Out This Song. <laughs> I'm Ian. And I'm Pat. Uh, welcome up to this evening. Uh, I want to make a quick correction because apparently either last episode oh, or the episode before, I referred to myself as not a historical thing, and I would like to you say- You are definitely not a historical I'm thing. De- I'm definitely probably not a historical thing, but, uh, you know, that's uh, <laughs> that was not what I meant to say. <laughs> so anyways, moving forward tonight, we're covering an amazing man, somebody you guys kind of all have some knowledge of, even if you don't know the name. Oh, yeah. The the myth that was created from this. Everybody knows this myth. Yeah. Robert Johnson, the man who went down to the crossroads, sold his soul for an amazing uh, blues talent, (laughs) the ability to sell records, but somehow only recorded 29 songs before an untimely death. Like Pat said, we're covering Robert Johnson. He was born in Hazelhurst, Mississippi, on or around May 8th, 1911, and he was the 11th child to Julia Major Dodds. Wait, her middle name is Major? I think that's her maiden name. Oh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. All the other ten children were born in wedlock to her sharecropper husband, Charles Dodds. Wait, so they weren't married and they were just popping kids out like ridiculous? No, 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 no. They were married. Oh, but, but they were uh, all born out? But how do, how do you have ten kids born out of wedlock? No, no, no. They were all born. Oh, did I say out of wedlock? Yeah. I meant in, in wedlock. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that Except means. for Robert Johnson who was born illegitimately when his mom was around the age of 40. So not to his dad? Not not to Charles Dodds. Oh. So oh. all of his other brothers and sisters are his half-brothers and sisters. Oh, that's awkward. <laughs> I wonder if it was the devil. His real father was a plantation worker named Noah Johnson. Oh, yeah, that's a biblical name. I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm already getting into the conspiracy. We, we had a little conversation before we yeah. actually hit hot mics today. It's a devil conspiracy. <laughs> I'm going to get a little oh, bit into it Oh, we'll talk later. about the devil today. Little is known about Noah Johnson, so that's the last time I'm really going to mention his name in this entire podcast. Because he went back to hell, because his real name is Satan. I didn't come across that. Uh, it wasn't in my research. <laughs> so... Julia Dodds, Robert's mother, was obviously unwelcome in Charles Dodds' home, you know, after obviously cheating on him and stuff. Yeah, I, w- I would assume so. I mean, that's that's the <laughs> so so hold on. So now we're, we're talking about she's 40 years old. Shit's her last kid. She has it's Did not you just say she shits her last kid. No, I said it's, it's the last kid oh. she has. <laughs> but I mean, it kind of works that way. I don't know. And this is going to be a really big theme with this Robert Johnson episode. There's not a lot of details. Yeah, the, so the information on this Maybe she went out thin. and got drunk. I, I don't know. There's just no information. Yep. So she got kicked out of the house? Uh, essentially, it seems like basically, yeah. And so she ended up becoming a field worker, you know, picking cotton and living in camps as she moved from plantation to plantation. But, and So did where did Robert go? Well, so while she was working in the fields... Her eight-year-old daughter had to take care of Johnson. Oh, one of the one of the half daughters or the half brother, <laughs> half sisters. I don't know. How you get a half daughter. Yeah, it's not half daughter. <laughs> yeah, one of his half sisters. Oh man, this episode's already a wreck. Yeah, it's a, we got a train wreck going on here. We're gonna be making a lot of corrections next week. And so we really do got to talk about Charles Dodds because he really like for a black man 
in the South made decent money. He owned land and he made worker furniture for people. Like he did pretty well. So what year, what year are we talking about here? Um, so he's probably, I mean, he's just born. So, I mean, 1911 to like 1914, any black man owning land and making money off of business in any way right now is just, just hardballing. You know what I mean? Like there's no better than that. Oh yeah. He was doing good. Well, unfortunately, he had to move to uh, Memphis because apparently he pissed off a lot of the Hazelhurst landowners, <laughs> a.k.a. forced out by a lynch mob. Oh, that's <laughs> See, that's, that's the other side of it. It doesn't matter how rich you are before a whole bunch of people come with, like, flaming pikes and stuff right. like that. Well, yeah. I think, again, not a whole lot of information, but from what it just seemed is he wanted to do something that everybody else said no, and they were so mad about it that they said, we're going to fucking kill you. What, just like something business-wise, or? Yeah, I would guess, but like I said. He's probably like, I'm going to not do racist, crazy stuff, and they're all like, <laughs> oh my god, not uh. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I'm going to write this story. Like I said, there's not enough information for us to have any sort of actual, like, solidified opinion here, but I'm going to err on the side of likelihood, just based on the stories we've heard this season alone. It was some racist bullshit. Probably, especially since it was in the South. Yeah, exactly. When Robert Johnson was around three or four, he was sent to live with Charles Dodds, and he moved to Memphis with him. And I'm guessing this is because of the dispute. Charles Dodds had to change his last name to Spencer. So for a little while, Robert Johnson was known as Robert Spencer. So she sent him to live with his not-dad? Yeah, essentially. Well, that's rough. Well, all of his other siblings were already there, too, at that point. Oh, I see. And she was just trying to, like... She couldn't take care of him. She had Mm -hmm. to work. I guess it's around this time when he started playing music. His first instruments were the Jews harp and harmonica. Jews harp is a jaw harp, everybody. Just throwing that out there. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not being racist. That's the name of the instrument. It's the name of the instrument. It's a jaw harp. (laughs) At some point, he began to pick up the guitar. He was probably taught by his older brother, Leroy. You know, he used to frequent musical establishments, dance halls, bars, you know, and he played a lot of guitar. But that only lasted for a few years, and around the age of eight or nine, he moved back to the Delta to live with his mother and her new husband, Dusty Willis. Oh, Dusty Willis. And apparently he became known as Little Robert Dusty. Robert, Little Robert Dusty? Little Robert Dusty. That's a that's a terrible nickname. <laughs> no wonder he needs devil's help. I don't know if that was his nickname. I think back then you just changed your name and that's the way it was. To little Robert. Du- I thought, wait, didn't you say Dusty was the dude's first name? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's not the way it ever worked. So, I mean, <laughs> the, he started becoming all this little, little Robert Dusty. All right. I, I'm anyway. Well, apparently his stepfather had little tolerance for music. And so in order for Johnson to play music, he had to slip out of the house. And go hang out with his musician friends. A dude with the name of Dusty doesn't like music? Nope. What the fuck? Uh, this isn't the ZZ Top days, I know. I know. Like, what the hell? <laughs> well, so eventually he decided to run away because obviously, you know, he's going to play music. Sometime in his teen years, Robert Johnson actually learned who his father was, and that's when he actually started calling himself Robert Johnson. Oh, so his dad's last name is Johnson? Yep. Noah Johnson? Oh, well... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that makes sense then. Good old Noah Johnson. So apparently he just went with whoever he thought his father was at the time because he didn't, like, I don't know, it kind of seems like his mom didn't tell him for a long time. 
Yeah, his his of course his mom didn't tell him. Yeah, but he was also the reason why her and Charles Dodd split up. So I I don't know like how like do you some, do? <laughs> yeah, you just like keep it quiet. Like why is mommy leaving? Oh no reason, my son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just go work the fields or whatever you do in 1911. <laughs> it's like a Cinderella story. Yeah, but no, exactly. <laughs> everybody else gets to go hang out, and he's working and he's yeah, scrubbing exactly. the floors. <laughs> I want to play music, Papa. No, (laughs) you cannot play the blues. You're incapable. Listen to your terrible guitar skills. Only the devil could help you. (laughs) So when he was 19, he married a lady named Virginia Travis on February 17th, 1929 in Penton, Mississippi. Unfortunately, she died in childbirth along with their baby at sometime in April in 1930 at the age of 16. And it left Robert Johnson devastated. So devastated, by some accounts, he briefly moved back in with his mother and stepfather. Oh. Yeah, and, you know, didn't work out. Same problems as before. Oh, yeah. Well, so I mean, he, he soon moved out. <laughs> That's kind of sad. <laughs> yeah. Well, it doesn't seem like he had the funnest of childhoods. Well, yeah, that's what leads you to selling your soul to the devil. Have I mentioned that he sells his soul to the devil, guys? I don't know. Have you? I don't know. So I'm going to say it a couple more times. So around 1930, Sunhouse moved to a town in Mississippi called Robbinsville. Oh, Sunhouse. Yeah. And I don't know if Robert Johnson was living there or lived close, but that's where he first started seeing Sunhouse play. You know, he really liked Sunhouse. Oh, who doesn't, dude? Sunhouse is my man. He's like, he's become the spirit animal of Check Out This Song. (laughs) So far, he's had the, the best, the funniest quotes anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, House remembered Johnson as a little boy who was a competent harmonica player, but an embarrassingly bad guitar player. (laughs) Many years later, Sunhouse even said he blew a harmonica, and he was pretty good with that, but he wanted to play guitar. (laughs) And so from here, it seems like he just kind of hung out with Sunhouse and Willie Brown. Oh, Oh, yeah. Old Willie Brown. You know, he'd watch them play, and while they took a break, he would use one of their guitars. And according to Sunhouse, it was not good at all. And I quote, Such a racket you never heard. Get that guitar, (laughs) get that guitar away from that boy, people would say. He's running people crazy with it. Oh, man. That's the best. (laughs) They uh, they come over there, you're like, you're just fiddling around trying to learn how to play it. They're like, No, no, you are terrible. Give me that shit. Yeah. Around May in 1931, he got married again to Coletta Craft in Hazelworth, Mississippi. Hazelhurst, Hazelworth, Hazelhurst, Mississippi. But he still continued to travel around the Delta, playing guitar, playing juke joints. You know, just trying to get better guitar, really. Yeah, practicing. Practicing. Yeah, it's weird. How suddenly before? Never mind. Well, (laughs) Well, that's my next point here. By 1932, Robert played for his son and Willie, and they were staggered by his improvement. And I quote, he was so good. When he finished, all our mouths were standing open. And so this this fast increase in his guitar skill is pretty much what helped create the legend of him selling his soul to the devil. Yeah, well, I mean, before we get into any of that, let's just point out this simple fact first. If you spend two years with no sort of like, you know, anything. and It was about six months from when he left Sunhouse to when he came back and showed them. Oh, about six so months. So he improved like. 
I mean, a great amount in six, six months. months is still a possible. Like, oh yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely possible. But let's get the we got to get that time frame. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I apologize. Uh, two years would be a, a way more reasonable amount. Six months does still have a kind of a miraculous tune to it, especially if Sunhouse himself is like super surprised by this guy is one of the most prolific lose players there's ever been. Oh, yeah. But then, of course, if you actually go and listen to Robert Johnson's recordings, you'll notice that he almost has like a more simple style that's played like emotionally, I would say. I would say it's a a more leady style, which I think is why he so influenced so many electric guitar players, because he played rhythm, but then he'd throw in these lead lines and... You can almost feel like that, uh, like that Roadhouse blues in it for a couple seconds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, a, a very few old blues musicians really get that, like, you know what I mean? Like the <laughs> yes, the blues walk, the very down. generic blues walk down. Yeah, like, like he does that in a lot of his songs mm-hmm. too. And yeah, he kind of does it with a definite like lead. So uh, it's it's honestly worth noting at this point uh, that Robert Johnson never actually claimed to have sold his soul to the devil. What? No way. No way. He didn't actually tell people that he sold a soul to the devil because that was probably not. You know who did, though, at the exact same time? Who? Uh, his Robert Johnson's acquaintance and, you know, contemporary musician friend, Tommy Johnson. Are they related? No, no not related. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely sure. Are you sure? It says like. Because th- there's no history on his dad, so. Okay, well, I mean, maybe. So, I mean, <laughs> it is the same area. Uh, maybe Noah was getting down and then he. Never mind. So, as far as we're aware, Tommy Johnson and Robert Johnson are not related. But, well, you know, if Noah was a real uh, hound dog and he was on somebody's tail, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you guys will get that reference later. But in like three or four seasons, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe someday. <laughs> but either way, at this point, Tommy Johnson is the only person who ever actually makes the claim to have done this. And this actually, uh, like this crossroads ritual is uh, super, super common, actually, at this time for the hoodoo. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a hoodoo thing. Oh, yeah, that yeah, makes sense. So apparently, like, one of the reasons they do this is because uh, crossroads are, like, a fairly known, easily findable location that is not within town limits. So they're allowed to go out there and do their hoodoo rituals, and everybody could find it. Oh, okay. And since it's hoodoo, though, would they actually be demons then, or I the mean, devil, uh, or is it, like, crossing a bunch of different religions there? Uh, hoodoo, hoodoo is, like... It's it's kind of a cobbling. It's I'm not gonna. This is not, dude. Check out this religion. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> Are qualified. you sure it's not? I'm not qualified to dig into hoodoo and it's like full on roots. But the honest thing is, like, it's kind of a combination of a few things. And oh, okay. It, it, it sticks to kind of a spiritualism where it does have almost like a, a Christian root to it. I, I hesitate mm. to say Christian root because it's not. It's I mean, not a Christian based religion. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not. I wouldn't consider it a Christian based religion. But, but maybe they got some ideas. Or I'm sure. Something. I'm sure at this point, I've already tried to uh, say too much, and somebody's sending me an angry email <laughs> at this very moment. So please I'm do, just... please do, please do. <laughs> yeah. So if you're any hoodoo experts, by all means, if I say stupid stuff about hoodoo, yell at me. I really I like learning about stuff, so you know it's not a big deal. So Tommy Johnson, anyways, he at this point he releases a song called Maggie Campbell Blues. It's a well known for being like one of the most influential songs of the time, like like kind of a blues traditional, but it faded okay. pretty quickly. But at that point, it was noted that Tommy actually did have like a distinct increase in his guitar abilities. Are his, you talking about Tommy or Robert? Tommy. Oh, okay. Did I say Robert? 
No, no, no. I'm just trying to distinguish uh, who you're talking about. Oh, yeah. No, it's, at this point, it is hard. So I'm going to try and keep Tommy and Robert very separate, even though okay. they have the same last name and they have the same story. So it is kind of weird. And possibly the same father. Yeah, and possibly the same father. God, <laughs> we don't know. God we don't it, know. <laughs> We've, it's the devil conspiracy. Noah Johnson is the devil, and he spawned both of them. Anyways. Uh, Second episode in a row. <laughs> do check out this conspiracy. Yeah, do check out this religious conspiracy this time around. Tommy Johnson's brother, Liddell Johnson, he spoke about his brother's exceptional like growth in guitar. And he said Tommy suddenly was able to play and uh, like a massive uh, amount of blues material. And he made claims that he actually sold his soul to the devil. His account of the rituals were typical to pretty much everyone else. He actually quotes here. He said that Liddell never claimed at any point that Johnson sold his soul to the quote unquote devil. And he never mentioned selling his soul at all. In fact, the uh, selling your soul to the devil sort of portion is something that we added later. It's kind of in addition to the folklore. Yeah, kind of one of those things where people remember, but they don't actually remember because they just told themselves that they remember. Yeah, exactly. And so there's there's a little bit of a quote here by a man named David Evans, and it's in, in reference to Tommy Johnson uh, once again. And he said, uh, if you want to learn how to make songs yourself, you take a guitar and you go down to the crossroads that way where the crossroads is. Yes, it's written that way. <laughs> you sure you're just not speaking that yeah, way? Yeah, 100% it's written that way. Be sure to get there a little 412 uh, that night so you'll be there. I assume it was supposed to be so that you'll know you'll be there, but it, it wasn't written that way, and if that's the actual <laughs> quote, I apologize. But that was not the way it was quoted in the source I read. You have your guitar, and you be playing piece by piece there by yourself, and suddenly a very, very large black man will walk up to you there, take your guitar, and he will tune it for you. <laughs> and then he will play a piece and hand it back to you. That's the way I learned how to play guitar. That's, how, that's the way I <laughs> Wait, learned. So to... someone's just got to tune your guitar for so you? So you just have to stand on those crossroads, and I believe it's over yonder. I will refer to where over yonder is very shortly. All right. You just play your songs on the crossroads and then a very large, and I quote, a big black man will uh, come and tune your guitar. I hope that they mean like a shadowy figure and not just like a, a rather large African-American guy. You know, it could go either way and I'm not going to make that assertion. Uh, <laughs> Let's not go there. Yeah, either way. He will tune your guitar. He'll play you a ditty and then he'll hand your guitar back. And by the time you get your guitar back, you can just play the blues. And guess what? It didn't actually cost your soul because that's something that the media made up apparently. Mm. And I mean, we'll get into why that is. Well, that's no fun. That's terrible. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of like a lot of history with the crossroads and the magic that you can do at the crossroads. So, uh, you know, we we may want to be talking about that here in a little while, but I'm not going to get in, into it anymore at this point. One of the things that is really notable is that Robert Johnson actually was a practitioner of hoodoo. Oh, really? Yeah, multiple of his songs, like Hellhound on My Trail, it mentions hot foot powder. Come on in my kitchen. Yeah, Come On In My Kitchen uh, refers to a, oh, that's woman, a, good song. a woman's nation sack. Little Queen of Spades also described. Did you just say a nation sack? Yeah, I sure did. And what is a nation I sack? I have no idea. It's, <laughs> these are these are hoodoo implements. Like I said, uh, I, I was by no means qualified to dig into Now the I want to know what a nation sack yeah, is. And uh, he also describes his, or his lover and Little Queen of Spades using the mojo bag to get good luck at gambling. <laughs> uh, these are all apparently fairly well known like uh, hoodoo tricks of the time so uh it's pretty obvious that robert johnson himself actually knew slash practiced but it's also um, way more common at this time in this area than you guys are like 
probably thinking about. It is a it is a large portion of the black community at this point in this area would at least have some knowledge of hoodoo and would. Like, I got an update on Nation Sack. Oh God, he, he looked, <laughs> what, is, what is Nation Sack? It's just a pouch for carrying money and personal effects. Ken essentially sounds like a purse. <laughs> oh, what the fuck? What? Then what? <laughs> Well, that's not a, nothing cool. What is a mojo bag then? Oh, I, I mean, if, if you're going to be looking stuff up, let's find out what hot foot powder is in a mojo bag. I mean, that's the real important thing. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is he. Uh, oh, a mojo bag is an amulet consisting of a flannel bag containing one or more magical items. Oh, OK. It's your mojo it is bag. a prayer in a bag. Awesome. So, uh, but like we were talking about earlier, the uh, crossroads is kind of where you went to commit these rituals. And so this is where the thing goes, where you go down to the crossroads to sell your soul to the devil. It's not about the devils waiting at the crossroads to sell a soul to blues musicians. It's at the crossroads is the well-known ritual site in which the hoodoo, or we may quote other sources later, but they go to commit their rituals. And so these rituals actually cover things not just from instruments, even though it is widely known that people wish for instrument talent on the regular. Uh, like but, the fiddle? Yeah. But it's also people would try to improve their uh, skills at dancing. Apparently, uh, the skill of throwing dice was a very, very uh, heavy wished upon skill in the area. I didn't know that was a skill. I, I think that they were uh, misunderstanding luck for the skill <laughs> of throwing randomized square blocks. And then also you could wish for things like, you know, to be able to, uh, what do they refer to it as, uh, lay tricks, which is uh, casting spells. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Laying I thought, tricks. I thought we all of a sudden got on prostitution for a second. Oh, no, this is, this is not the 90s <laughs> definition, thank God. Uh, what, there's a very, very large assumption that a guy named Robert Palmer is the one who bears all responsibility for transferring uh, Tommy Johnson's Crossroads story to Robert Johnson. It's just because Robert Johnson ended up becoming more popular than Tommy Johnson, and he felt like it was just kind of a good addition to his story. There must have been some sort of, like, mention of, like, he must have sold soul to the devil to get that good in six months or something. Well, I like, mean, if Sunhouse, is, if Sunhouse is surprised how good you are in six months, that that's enough right there. You know, I even saw a quote from Sunhouse about mentioning the devil, but it wasn't very good, so I didn't include it. Yeah, I mean, well, it's because... <laughs> We get that confused a lot. Back then, they were like, hey, "We know we'll beat the devil out of him." That didn't mean your devil was actually. Well, he didn't in mention it. beating the devil. Well, he just wait. essentially implied that the only way he could have gotten that good was the devil. Yeah, exactly. But the devil was a homily that they used uh, quite often. Well, and remember, you know, Sunhouse was a preacher for a huge portion of his life too. So yeah, exactly. And just kind of leading into what we will talk about a little later, the reason Palmer made this misappropriation apparently is because he was, and I quote, an European-American. He drew a lot of his inspirations from unfamiliar uh, sources to the hoodoo people. He actually kind of took the big black man to pretty much mean Mephistopheles from Faust, which immediately became the devil at the, you know, the second or third telling of this story. Okay. Because anytime you use Mephistopheles, he he instantly becomes the devil because you know Faust really kind of implies you know what I mean. Not it's, really. It's, <laughs> it's this is not do check out this ancient literature, but uh, Mephistopheles himself is just kind of it's the devil by another name. Okay. Uh, yeah, and it is uh, kind of like Baphomet. Yeah, exactly. And so they're, they're, I think 
Baphomet's supposed to be a demon, but once again, uh, I'm I am not qualified <laughs> to speak on any demonology either. I once had a guy preach to me about Baphomet, and so it stuck with me, but I didn't listen to him. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> I've been to a few shows where they try and summon all types of demons. It's un- an unfortunate thing, but it happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's entertaining, though. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the name of the band, but I, I can't remember off the top of my head. It's been too many years. But one of the things is he applied a bunch of very, very false, like spooky stylization or stylization to it. In who do the uh, the demons who come in like talk to you? They're not stylized to be scary or spooky. They're not there to steal from you. They're not tricksters. This is like benevolent beings from the other side coming to you know gift humans with. So things. demons just a benevolent being. In this context. Right. Yeah, a demon himself is not benevolent, but what they refer to, the the devil who would have sold, or, you know, so that Robert Johnson would have sold his soul to, was benevolent. It, oh, okay. It, it wouldn't have been a bad guy if it wasn't for, you know, this one gentleman who's just decided to uh, kind of give it a dark terminology, you know what well, I mean? Well, so I, I got a question for you. In my research, apparently there was a stipulation that Robert Johnson would be a better guitar player, singer, and songwriter, but the stipulation was that he'd only live eight more years after that. Did you run across that at all? No, so that's one of the things that that, that comes more with that uh, Western stylization of oh, okay. the devil. It's, it's the, the Christian aspect being applied upon top of this kind of hoodoo base. Oh, okay. And so it, in typical, you weren't, you didn't take in any negatives. Mm. The only thing I ever found in my research was you only had a certain number of chances. Because it looks like it was more so, like... So in a way, it's kind of like gambling? Yeah, it was more like Dungeons and Dragons. Like you had to go, you, you go roll your die <laughs> you roll 20. roll the d20, yeah, you, you now your... become a better guitar player. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh no, you failed your roll. You got a couple more tries. You just got to come back to the crossroads next midnight. You know what I mean? Like, And then it, there was a certain number of times you could attempt to kind of gain favor of whatever entity oh, okay. it was. This, this big black man. Which I mean, so it's like playing the claw machine with yeah, twenty exactly. bucks, yeah. but that's all you get for the claw machine. Yeah, you only get twenty bucks, pretty much, exactly. <laughs> and so there was there was no sort of uh, torment or any sort of you know damn soul wrath of God sort of implication, and it was kind of uh, I don't know. It's it seems like that was a lot of that was added by folklore later. Well, really, the better explanation for why he became so good was because he uh, spent most of that time honing his skills with the instruction under a blues musician named Ike Zimmerman. Ooh, Ike Zimmerman. Yeah. I've never heard that guy. Was he, and do we have like a record of him or is he kind of a, I didn't check that out. It was just one of those things where it was like, apparently he was pretty well known in the area, but I didn't check to see if he had any recordings or anything. I figured it was, I, cause he's, it's in my list of the, uh, selling a soul to the devil because it was just like this yeah. is the better explanation for it so yeah more likely that he did that and all this time you know he would uh robert johnson would just he was just rambling around you know as one did who wanted to be a professional musician yeah somebody who magically became really good at the guitar in six months definitely yeah. did nothing but wander around and play guitar for six <laughs> pretty months. much <laughs> and this is a weird little side note that i got here but at some point and i'm pretty sure he was still married he established a relationship with a woman. I couldn't find her name, but she was about 15 years older than himself. And I guess he possibly adopted her son, but it was a future musician, Robert Lockwood Jr. Oh, and so yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of wholesome. Yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's still rambling around sleeping with as many women as he could anyway. Well, he's got a hellhound on his trail. What are you going <laughs> to do? How are you going to stop that? 
A lot of the times he traveled with a fellow blues musician named Johnny Shines. And essentially, with what little we know about him, Johnny Shines is pretty much the reason why we even know anything about him at all. So, like, Johnny Shines is the conduit of folklore? It seems like it. Well, so, apparently, Robert Johnson didn't really like to tour with a whole lot of people, and Johnny Shines just seemed to be his always opening act for him. Oh, I see. So, he kind of carried it on after... Yeah, it almost seems like uh, maybe... He wasn't comfortable enough, so he always made sure he had someone he knew he was better than, you know? That would make sense. That actually is pretty common among, like, solo acts specifically. But, yeah, and well, so Johnny Shines, uh, he always said Robert Johnson was always neat and tidy, despite spending time on the dusty Delta highways. And I guess he, uh, Robert Johnson loved to play other people's songs, you know, just whatever people are into. Like, he'd play Bing Crosby, Blind Willie McTell, Jimmy Rogers, Lonnie Johnson, just anything. If people were into it, he would learn how to play it just to appease his audience. So it seems like he was very much a crowdsman. Like he he loved to play the audience and he Yeah, loved that's to make what sure it seems like. Pleaser. Once again, don't have a date for this. Sometime in his mid twenties, Johnson's second wife dies. She doesn't give birth to any kids. Apparently he had some, but I don't think he had any with his wife. So <laughs> <laughs> just not, not with any of the people you're supposed to. Yeah, well, I like I said, it seemed like he just spent more time on the road than, you know, back home. So yeah, that makes sense, though. And sometime around 1935, he went to H.C. Spears store in Jackson, Mississippi, like a lot of musicians back then, and he wanted to record. Well, H.C. Spear ran a music store, but he also doubled as a talent scout. And so he put Johnson in touch with a guy named Ernie Ortle, O-E-R-T-L-E. Ortle, Ertle, I don't know, Turtle. Something along the lines of Turtle, yeah. Yeah, okay, we got it. (laughs) And so he offered to record Johnson in San Antonio, Texas. So Johnson went there, and supposedly Johnson was too shy to perform in front of a bunch of musicians in the studio, so he played Facing the Wall. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So I, I have some frame of reference because I'm a musician, but I'm not exactly like I, I, I kind of have like a little, you know, stage anxiety. Yeah, occasionally. I have I have recording anxiety. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I lock up so hard when I record. Yeah. And that, I mean, that makes sense. Like this is this is like a one time thing. You know, you can't redo this once you play live or make that recording. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. But like I would do it or not do it. I couldn't see myself being like, oh, yeah, no, I'll play. Can I face this corner over here? <laughs> I don't want to see all these guys. Well, I don't know. It seemed like he didn't like playing around musicians. Maybe that's because on house used to make fun of him. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would make sense if like you were learning guitar, like for the first time, picking up for the first time and you pick up Sunhouse's guitar and play. It, and then, then like we, like you said earlier, some bitch in the bar is like, get that boy off that guitar. <laughs> He's scaring people off with his shitty ass play. <laughs> and like, what the fuck? Like, well, that's, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> In that recording session, it lasted three days. Is a good long one. He got 16 songs out of it. Oh, this is the first big chunk. The big, ch- the first big chunk. And, you know, he had songs like Come On Into My Kitchen, Kind Hearted Woman Blues, Crossroad Blues, Last Fair Deal Gone Down, 3220 Blues, Dead Shrimp Blues, I Believe I'll Dust My Broom. I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but it kind of sounds dirty. <laughs> oh, <laughs> They're red hot, terraplane blues. And so I think this is the appropriate time to put in our first dude check out this song. And obviously the first one is going to be their red hot, which is probably like his catchiest song you could listen to. Like even like the red hot chili peppers have covered it. 
Yeah, no, uh, exactly. It's has, got it's got a nice little do 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 it. <laughs> yeah, and Eric Clapton has covered it. Hugh Laurie has covered it. Oh you, well, if you he, mean if the guy who played lo- the guy who played House? Oh Come yeah. On. Well, if House has done it. He's actually quite a good blues musician. I found a couple of covers of him playing like Tom Waits and stuff. And oh, uh, he well, he does a lot of like classic blues stuff too. Yeah, it's mainly piano from what I've seen, but it's still it's still quite entertaining. If anybody, if you guys are like House fans or you like Hugh Laurie, do check out the Hugh Laurie not being House, but check preferably out check out their Red Hot. That. Yeah, yeah, because that's what we're doing this episode about. Yeah, well, I mean, dude. I just figured I'd mention it was covered by him because <laughs> it's like, oh, the guy from House, he plays music. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then another song you guys got to check out is Last Fair Deal Gone Down, which has some racist implications in the song. I'm not going to go too much into it, but. Yeah, yeah, we've covered just about enough racism. <laughs> uh, we can assume that if something bad uh, happens that a white man's doing it to him, don't even worry about it. Yeah. And then Dead Shrimp Blues. And Terraplane Blues are some other songs to check out from that, too. Well, really, Terraplane Blues was probably the most popular song from these sections of recordings, too. It was coupled with Kindhearted Woman Blues. It was really the only two sides that he had that really sold reasonable numbers. Supposedly got paid $100 for these recordings and then was just sent on his way and he went back to uh, rambling. Hey, I mean, 100 bucks, 100 bucks. 100 bucks is 100 bucks, especially back then. But Yeah, I mean, fuck yeah, dude. I mean, just even, still even, sounds even, low to me. Even when I was a hungry musician, though, we, we, like, we went over this in the Charlie Patton episode because we felt like he got screwed over. Now you're saying a hundred bucks is a hundred bucks? Well, I, he definitely got screwed <laughs> over. I mean, I, I'm trying to make light of it, but the reality is, you know, how many musicians were really fucked over for how much they actually sold? Probably for the first fifty years of recorded music. All of them. 99% of them got (laughs) fucked over. And usually it was the white guys who weren't fucked over. Yeah, exactly. Some some rich white guys made some rich white guys (laughs) rich. But other than that. I'm looking at you, Frank Sinatra. (laughs) We'll get to you later. (laughs) And even though his... uh, these recordings did mediocre, apparently it was well enough for them to want more recordings. So this time he went to Dallas to record more sides on June 19th, 1937. And the following day, he cut 13 more takes of 10 songs. And among these three songs would be the songs that would make him most famous posthumously. Stones in My Passway, Me and the Devil, and Hellhounds on My Trail. Hell yeah. And we've mentioned how Hellhounds on My Trail, so dude, check out this song. Hellhounds on My Trail. My personal favorite of all the songs, honestly. Oh, yeah. No, check it out by Robert Johnson. Check it out by, I mean, there's a lot of musicians who actually do great covers of it. Oh, so yeah. Check but out different versions. Check it out it. by Robert Johnson, first and foremost. You got oh, yeah. to see where the roots come from. Well, any of you who are impromptu enough to follow us correctly and actually listen to the playlists, you'll, uh, you'll listen to this song. We've got a couple versions of it that are going to be quite entertaining, and they'll make it their way on there. Oh, yeah. And so after his recording session, Robert Johnson just initially started playing around Texas, accompanied by Johnny Shines, juke joints, parties, dances, you know, typical thing. Oh, yeah. Eventually made his way to Mississippi, but went through Arkansas first. But this last year, the details are really sketchy. At some point, he made his way over to Memphis. There's really not a whole lot of details about his last year. Yeah, so he just kind of, he he rambled. He rambled. I mean, that's one of the things. It's hard to keep track of a rambling man. He disappears. He pops up over here. Well, and especially, you know, since he only lived to be 27. And I guess this is the best place to put it because his death is basically as mysterious and has just as many rumors around it as how he got his uh, guitar skill. 
Oh, yeah? And, well, the most talked about story is uh, Robert Johnson met his end on August 16th, 1938, at the bottom of a strict nine-lace bottle of whiskey. He was playing a country dance in Greenwood, Mississippi, when a a woman gave him a poisoned drink. In some versions, the woman is the wife of a jealous bar owner who tricks her into poisoning him. In others, she's a jealous lover. Johnson's mom once recounted when she heard of her son's poisoning by Alan Lomax. Yes. God damn it, Alan. He made, he made it in. Of course. He's in here somewhere. <laughs> Alan Lomax told his mom that he died. No, he was he was interviewing his oh, mom. Oh, okay. Well, and his mom said, I quote, some wicked girl or her boyfriend gave him poison and wasn't no doctor in the world could save him. So they say. So they <laughs> so say. So they say. And... You know, that's Robert Johnson to a T is just so they say. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the thing. Like, we've, we've covered this through the season a few times. Like, the, the folklore is so important. Oh, yeah. Well, with, especially with Robert Johnson. Because, yeah. I mean, we haven't even talked about it, but him selling a soul to the devil is a big reason why the devil is in so many rock and roll songs like the Rolling Stones. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. the devil becomes associated with and the devil Yeah, horns, you and, know, and... The you know, devil may care attitude, you yeah, know, not exactly. giving a shit. Yeah. And so, I mean, even with this rumor, one of Robert Johnson's friends, David Honeyboy Edwards, claims he was there when he was poisoned. He claims it was a jealous lover's boyfriend. And he says, "I this man had a good-looking woman, and he didn't want to lose her, and Robert was about to take her away. And so, you know, he basically says this man puts a poison-laced pint of corn whiskey on a chair next to Robert Johnson, and he drank it and started feeling sick. Another quote from this guy is, Robert loved whiskey and women, and some women you got to leave alone. You know what I mean? Oh, some women you got to <laughs> leave alone. You know what I mean? Are we are we writing out the account that that was the devil? I think the devil poisoned him. <laughs> you think the devil poisoned yeah, it must him? Have it must have been the devil. Well, he, he, I mean, he only had eight years. You yeah, said but, so earlier. I mean, it's been, what, like three or four, maybe? Yeah, I, I mean, it, yeah. Maybe the devil doesn't know well, how to Well, let's time. see, let's see. So, 19, this is uh, 38, so... He supposedly sold sold a soul sometime between thirty one and thirty two. That's like five six years. Yeah, maybe he he flew too close to the sun. He's vigorous. <laughs> he, <laughs> the devil the devil was like hell no motherfucker. Hell no. Well, even some people claim that he was shot, but his death certificate says he died of syphilis. Oh, well, maybe that's a darker turn. Maybe he just he did well, he did get down by a jealous lover, if you know what I mean. There was some research done by a person named Gail Dean Wardlow. Wardlow? Apparently, there was some information that points to the fact that he had congenital syphilis. Okay, I'm not I'm not a medical Con- thing. Congenital here. means, you know, you're born with it. Oh, okay, thank right. you. Right. Oh, with that's the- so much more fucked up. <laughs> Dude, no one. No one. So- <laughs> no one, why? <laughs> and so, apparently, with this... The doctor said it's possible to have an aneurysm caused by syphilis and his love of drinking moonshine. Oh, so the, he's all the, liquored up and his all shit was fucked up, up and just did it too long. And finally, his body gave out. Oh, my God, that is fucked up. All that anyone knows for sure was that Robert Johnson was buried in an unmarked grave. God damn it, unmarked grave. <laughs> someone, someone tweet Janice Joplin. <laughs> It gets even crazier, dude. And so, but his death certificate said that he was buried at Zion Baptist Church. But which Zion Baptist Church? Oh, we have just Zion Baptist. That's just, probably like the most <laughs> generic name in the whole. Oh my god! So we have no idea where the fuck he is. No idea. Well, we have an idea, but 
There are three different gravestones claiming his final resting place. Oh. <laughs> And so the first one... How many of them were erected, erected by blues musicians? That's what I really want to know. <laughs> well, I read, and I couldn't confirm this, that ZZ Top helped with one of them. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't include it in my notes because I couldn't confirm it. Why is ZZ Top in this episode so many times? I don't know, because we haven't mentioned them yet, and I think they need to be mentioned. <laughs> Dude, check out ZZ Top, I Dude, guess. Their early shit, not their later years stuff. <laughs> ZZ Top rules, but there's only a certain amount of stuff that rules. Like, once they got to the 80s, they... <laughs> uh, but anyway, the first gravestone is in Payne Chapel Memorial Baptist Church, located in Ida, Bena, Mississippi. In 1999, a small marker with the epitaph, Resting in the Blues, was placed in the cemetery by an Atlanta rock group, The Tombstones. Ooh, the tombstones. And if you don't know who the tombstones are, because most likely you won't, because I didn't even. I didn't. And I'm into this type of music, too. The tombstones are like a psychobilly-esque band. They claim to play Swamp Rock or Swamp Billy, but they play psychobilly, yeah, let's I be mean, honest. Let, and let, I love psychobilly, so I'm not trying to like make fun of them or anything. It's just Let's call it what it is. They played psychobilly. Not everything needs a subgenre. Especially and, a, a genre like psychobilly, <laughs> which is already a subgenre yeah, of a subgenre exactly. of a subgenre. You don't need to like that anymore. Just, just guys, just stick on. One I get train. why they did it though. Try and make a name for themselves. You know, whatever. Anyway, so they erected this after they saw a photograph in a blues magazine of an unmarked spot that was allegedly Robert Johnson, uh, one of Robert Johnson's ex girlfriends, or one of Robert Johnson's ex girlfriends, is what she claimed was the burial site. Even his buddy, David Honeyboy Edwards, claimed that his body was moved from the original burial site, possibly here. Oh, I don't the know. moving bodies now. Aren't yeah, they? so, I mean... What it, the it, fuck? Because like, if you notice, this isn't a Zion Baptist he, church. It's because he's turned into a zombie, because he's sold the soul <laughs> of the devil. No, apparently one of his sisters moved in there for some odd reason. I don't know, like... And that's why it's just so weird that it was put here, because everything that is claimed that he's here is kind of sketchy. But I will say this. Do check out the song, Preaching Plan, Guitar Plan, by the Tombstones, because I like Psychobilly, and I finally get a chance to put some Psychobilly in an episode. Yeah, I mean, we listened to this for warm-up tonight. I don't know if we've mentioned before, but we listened to a song for when we're getting ready to record. Not a song. We listen to a ton of well, music. I mean, <laughs> but it's usually a few very specific ones there towards the end, and this was our focus tonight. Just because we never get to actually have any psychobilly. And I just, I have a love of psychobilly. It'll probably make its way in season eight. (laughs) When we get closer to rock and roll, for sure, there's going to be a lot more. And so the second place he was possibly buried was Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church, located in Morgan City, Mississippi. Okay, here we go to Zion. Well, yeah, Zion at least. You know, they reached this conclusion based on his death certificate and some research done during the 80s and 90s. And also Sony and Columbia Records claimed that this was where it was. And so they uh, purchased a one-ton cenotaph in the shape of an obelisk and placed it on the grounds in 1991. And it also lists all Robert Johnson songs on it. I mean, that's pretty cool. Anytime you get an obelisk. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's on top of your body at that point. There's a Robert Johnson obelisk out there. Well, I think this was done possibly as a promotional thing for Sony and Columbia Records. God damn it, Sony <laughs> and Columbia. Fuck you guys. <laughs> and so the third one put in a place called Little Zion Missionary Baptist Church located in Greenwood, Mississippi. 
the place where he was supposedly poisoned. Oh. Noted historian and record producer Stephen C. Levere, who spent 30 years researching Johnson's life, believe that this is Johnson's actual burial site. Well, it would make sense because if he that's where he died. Yeah, and it's actually not quite in Greenwood. It's located two miles north, but this is most likely the place where he was buried. And who erected that tombstone? I don't know who erected it, but it was promoted by Stephen C. Levere, so... That's but our most competent it, person. He's still, so far. Yeah, he's still buried in an unmarked grave because it's just kind of a landmark. Like this is where he's buried. We just don't know where. Yeah, he's, I, he's buried around here somewhere <laughs> in this graveyard. We know that. We're, we're sorry, boys. We lost him. All right, so let's be honest. We know why everybody's listening. You're not a good artist. You can't play the blues guitar. You don't drive very well. You can't fly. You don't have wings. You're gonna die of your mortal frailty eventually. You want to sell your soul to the devil. Damn right. You came right here and you wanted to say, you know, these two motherfuckers, they're going to tell me how to sell my soul to the devil. So uh, I did a little research. There's a whole bunch of reasons why you may say yes or no to each of these portions. I'm going to present to you the best that I have and the best information I have. First, you got to fix your psychological point of view. Here's an old English homily composed by a man named Alfred of Ensheim. Of Ensheim? Of Ensheim. E-Y-N-S-H-A-M. Is this a Lord of the Rings character? Yeah, he is 100% a Lord of the Rings. 100%. 100%, yeah. I think Uh, he's... Thank you, Tolkien. He's Grimley's little brother. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Either way, in the uh, late 10th or early 11th century, he composed this sermon. He essentially explains that both Anglo-Saxon slash Norse slash, by some implication, Greek mythology was all just an aspect of the devil. And he used a interesting historical thing that they call euhemerism euhemerism is essentially something that i kind of actually really like is explaining mythology by real life events all right yeah so like you know if you want to say like you know the great flood mythology but you're like okay well let's find a real life event that that might have been see if we can compare some you know some science to this mythology and see okay that's what so parting the red seas is why it happened yeah Yeah, well exactly yeah parting the red seas what would have parted the red sea you know you try and find like information scientifically about mythology and that's kind of what it really comes down to but in this portion he's using it for pure evil (laughs) so i have a quote it's kind of weird because it's all translated badly from middle english but i'll try and cover it loosely so this is not word for word there was also a man called mercury he was very crafty and deceitful in his deed and in his trickeries and his speech it seemed fully plausible heathens made him a renowned god and at the crossroads they offered him sacrifices i'm putting that asterisk right there Wait, guys crossroads yeah you offer him sacrifices at the crossroads oh. oh like maybe your soul so first of all we got our big black man who is also mercury uh, let's not forget that's a greek god uh, like of speed and kind of referencing the run of marathon a little bit oh really so it's hard to tell so there's such hot spotty like information about the greek era as there is with all the stuff we're looking at as you can imagine if 1900 was bad the greek era was much worse hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. so i mean and, well the, this the, episode was hard enough so yeah, no, i can exactly. only imagine yeah in the greek era we one of our best information sources a guy who wrote all his stuff is histories that he was only telling to the greeks as a performance so likelihood is he was making a lot of it up to make himself and the greeks exaggerating look better, so the greeks were excited about watching it yeah so Either way, 
Mercury either inspired a man to run the marathon. Oh, like yeah. The yeah, actual this event yep. of the marathon. Yep. Or that's the event that Mercury eventually kind of was iconicized Ooh. at. So the man was kind of deified, but deification is not a really cool thing in our modern thing, you know, so we don't want to be like, a regular man, now he's God. Like <laughs> A regular man ran 26 miles, can you believe it? Yeah, oh my God. Either way. I, I'm, we're and let's a, not get into the story of Marathon. <laughs> way off point here. None of this stuff. Because now I want to start talking about that. Yeah, no, exactly. So this false God... Or back to our quote here, so that I'm so that I don't sound like a psychopath, because this part is kind of crazy. So we're back to Alfred of Ensheim, and this is the second portion of the quote that we started earlier, and it said, "This false god was renowned among heathens that day. They also called him by another name, Odin, in the Danish manner." Oh, getting into some Norse mythology, yeah, possibly. So, so, so this dude. And so I, I should note the name of this actual sermon is Des Falsus Dies. D Falsus Dies. Okay, my, my middle English slash uh, Latin is fucking terrible, but it translates to on false gods. Oh, okay. So the entire sermon is talking about essentially, you know, regular people just said some stuff that people liked, so they made him fa- false gods. So none of the old religions where there was a bunch of gods mean anything because it's just a bunch of dudes they or were talking about. Just a about. bunch of false gods. Yeah, so this is the first thing, though, is even based on Christian mythology, we're going down the crossroad and we're making a sacrifice. All right, everybody got your sacrifice? Put in a little bindle, get your blues guitar, hop on a train. You gotta right. hop, wait, 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 you gotta hop on a train? I mean, I, I think that's the best plan. So, I mean, like we said, you only get a couple of chances. <laughs> we, we were talking about the hoodoo earlier. I'm, I'm trying to keep with all of the rules. You only get a couple of chances to do this, so you're kind of having to build up to it. You're building up to a selling your soul to the devil moment. So I'd say taking a train. Pack a meal, you might have to wait a little while. Yeah, definitely do not borrow mom's minivan. Do not ask mom to drive you. You have to get there. It depends on who your mom is, though. Okay, yeah. I mean, if your mom's an an epic blues musician, you guys are going to have, like, blues journeys on the way, do it. Or maybe she's just supporting your dream. Yeah, maybe she is supporting your dream. And uh, like I said, this works with more than just the blues. So we do have to open that kind of up. We have to think about, you know, what if you're going for painting? What if your mom's a great painter? Okay. So I'm not going to say don't let your mom drive you. That was unfair of me, recalling that portion of it. <laughs> but the more I look, the crossroads is one of the most common stories. We have, what do you mean by most common? Like throughout human like, history? Like throughout human history. Like the crossroads itself is where, like early times, it was referred to even as the forks in the road. And we know what a fork in the road is in our modern terminology, but apparently the crossroads and forks in the road are kind of the same thing. It's this metaphorical thing where you could take one choice or the other oh okay so in ancient greece there was marker stones commemorated to hermes in his priapic form yeah i went i went and found out what priapic means okay good because i have sexy as fuck no way yeah so sexiest form yeah so Mm. so priapic means uh that was me in my 20s yeah with your dick out (laughs) sometimes it's literally not even like a statue of you it's just a statue of your penis Mm. so priapic uh it's yeah statue of me when i had hair (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly your priapic form was you with hair and no pants on and i'm not doing that that statue at all and Uh, it's never landing at any crossroads unfortunately what would you sell your soul? Never mind. <laughs> this, is not, this, is, this is not the proper subject. Uh, in ancient Rome, they all, uh, Mercury also had almost identical things. Gasp. Hermes and Mercury having almost identical things in Greece and Rome. Who would have thought? But in India, there was a god named uh, Bahariva. 
the older version of she, uh, Siva. Shiva? Is Shiva spelled S-I-V-A? I think so. Oh, well, then Shiva. So the older version of Shiva. Uh, oh. Yeah. I'm, I, it might yeah, be, I don't know. Now I'm, now I'm rethinking that. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm honestly not sure. I really should have checked that out. But at this point, I will assume so, unless they have two gods that are named almost identically, in the, you know, with one letter apart, which, you know, in India, they do some crazy stuff. I mean, if you look at the Mahabharata, Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't looked at that. It's on it, my list. Yeah, put it on your list. Either way, they had a guardian of the crossroads on the outskirts of villages. Uh, stone phalluses again, more statue penises. All right. Yeah, this is in India, by the way. Those were supposed to have never have connected, but statue penises. Uh, oh my god! Is that the first dildo? No, I think that's the first key to selling your soul to the devil. <laughs> at the crossroads. Get you your dicks make- out, gentlemen, ladies. Get your Vaginas out. I, uh, Can ladies not sell their soul to the devil? I don't know. Is the devil sexist? I think if you get your clam out, you'll be all right. All right. Yeah. It'll be a lady devil, and she'll be like, yeah, because that's, I, I don't know. I was going to make a South Park reference, but we'll just leave that yeah, alone. let's skip any sort of South Park references. Statues of Baharivers, watchful eyes, were also erected. They consider them guardians of the boundaries of the town. So essentially, you put them on the outside of your town to protect your town. You put statues of dicks around your town to protect your town. Well, yeah, eyes and dicks, bro. The one-eyed monster. Maybe that's why crime rates are so high in our generation. We need more dick we statues. Do, we do not have enough dick statues protecting <laughs> all of us. Also, uh, so so here we go, guys. We're we're back to the how you're selling your soul to the devil. You also need a dick statue, maybe maybe erect a dick statue or. or... Uh, I'm gonna put a few around my house now. Yep, and in Guatemala, there's a Mayan underworld Lord Mam, M A A M, like Mam without a. Hyphen or whatever what is it that goes in ma'am? Under the Catholic saint guise of Maximilian or Saint Simon is generally depicted seated at the crossroads in a chair or outside a church. Ooh, another reference to the crossroads. Yeah, back to the crossroads. So bring yourself a chair. Definitely bring a chair. I mean, if you're going to be out there all night, bring a chair. And yeah, might as well guitar. be comfortable. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what, what, what kind of skill you're getting. If you're getting juggling or, you know what I mean? In Africa, there is a crossroads god, Legba. A crossroads god? Yeah. So uh, that's, that's okay. There is about twelve versions of this guy's name. So I'm not going to try and pronounce them all because it would be, you know, it'd be two minutes of of very brutal grinding pronunciations of language I don't speak. So we're going <laughs> to we'll do that. We'll do that after we stop recording. Yeah, exactly. We'll leave him as Legba. <laughs> yep that's that's what we're gonna leave i now. hope that's the best one yep and it's pronounced in they say several languages uh <laughs> and it opens the way and also guards the crossroads and teaches wisdom in africa if you so legbo is the name you need that's what i'm gonna say there's also ishu or iksu uh, those are those are easy to remember ones. So if you're going to sell your soul at the crossroads, remember those names. And there's also kind of a uh, Germanic idea of devil's bond servants that's involved in the uh, in the ritual of selling your soul. So if you believe like in more of a Germanic base and you're selling your soul to a Germanic devil, uh, uh, you old be, Germanic religion like, well, like Roman times, pre-Christian, yeah, yeah. So tribal religion. So you should be aware that at that point you are going to be a servant or a dirtafiel. Oh, oh uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Don't be one of those. Yeah, but guess what? At that point, you're not selling your soul to the devil. You're actually selling your soul to an old pagan wood devil, not Satan. So you're not going to Christian hell. You're going to old pagan wood devil hell. And honestly, I don't know if they have a hell or not, but don't go there. Eh, it sounds terrible. That place sounds like a terrible amusement park that has been closed for so many centuries. <laughs> and you're the first guy who has to go to old pagan devil wood hell. And you, you bought you bought it and you got to revive it. Like, come <laughs> visit, please. <laughs> we know that there's new Christian hell, but we have old pagan wood devil hell. Our, ours is just as good. <laughs> just as good. 20% off. <laughs> Either way, it's... Uh, Literally, so if you guys like grim fairy tales, number 100, the devil's sooty brother makes reference to this. So with all the information I've given you, bring a chair, praise Legba, crossroads, statues of penises, and uh, that's a must. And that's that's a real must. And you actually probably could just buy dildos now. I mean, yeah, if you prob- think about it. Yeah. And I mean, if you need more source materials to figure out what you're doing to sell your soul to the devil, read the devil's sooty brother. By the Grimm's Fairy Tale number 100. That's dude, check out that Grimm's Fairy Tale <laughs> number 100. Dude, check out literally every song from this podcast. Robert Johnson was great. Thank you all for listening. Seriously, thank you guys so much for coming out. Yeah, thank you guys. And if you want more, check out our social media. We got Facebook, we got Twitter, and we got Spotify. That's right. If you want to do check out the song, do check out our Spotify because we're making playlists for every episode. Yeah, if you want more after the episode, listen to the Spotify playlist. We've got all the songs we recommended and then some. If you like us a lot, give us a high rating on whatever platform you look at. And if you got any artists you want to suggest, let us know. We would love to make an episode about them. Yeah, so have a good evening. Bye.